Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Terry Jones on the line. Terry, how are you? I'm very well. Great to be here. Great to be with you. You've done a lot of amazing things in life, uh, Travelocity, Kayak, everything, you know, all the businesses you're doing. But I thought in today's conversation, and, and by all means, we'll have all the links to where people can find you in the show notes, because people should really look into the amazing work that you've done in your career so far. But we're going to talk about disruption and business disruption and how this pandemic is creating a bit of an opportunity, I think, for businesses to really come out of all of this in a better space than they were before. But uh, feel free to share with the audience a little bit about your background, and then we'll dive right into the conversation. Sure. Well, I started my career as a travel agent. Um, did my first startup six months into that, so I was 21. Built that company up and then jumped to a startup in technology, selling mini computers to travel agents. Uh, that company was sold to American Airlines, and I spent 18 years there climbing the ladder in marketing and IT, eventually becoming chief information officer. So I was CIO at American Airlines. That's when I lost my hair, um, <laughs> trying to keep all that going. And uh, we had a little project at that time, an online project called Easy Saber. Um, which was on AOL and Prodigy and CompuServe. And uh, I was leading that. And it looked pretty interesting. And the first thing I did when I took it over was put it on the internet in 1996. Pretty soon I decided that's what I wanted to do. So I quit my CIO job and said, I want to run that full time, still inside American Airlines. Uh, took that company uh, public. It became Travelocity.com, spun it out of American, ran it for six years until they bought it back. Um, and uh, then I got into speaking and writing and uh, venture capital and uh, was working for a VC firm and we started kayak.com uh, where I was chairman for eight years and we took that public and sold it to Priceline for 1.8 billion. So that was a good uh, outcome. Uh, I thought I was done uh, then with travel, but I, I got a call from Ginny Rometty, the CEO of IBM, who uh, said, come up and teach IBM Watson about travel. <laughs> so uh, that turned into another company, an, an AI company, which unfortunately didn't work. Um, but I learned a lot. Uh, so I've been on uh, 19 corporate boards now, uh, written two books, and uh, spend most of my time now as an author and a speaker and a venture capitalist. Like I said, audience, amazing career so far that you've had, and you know, just oh, here, you, and I've, I've written, uh, I've written two books. So uh, there they are, the audience can see disruption off and on innovation. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about disruption. But, you know, disruption and innovation are just two sides of the same coin. You only call it disruption if you didn't do it. If you did it, it would be an innovation. So <laughs> let's turn it around and talk about both. Oh, it makes perfect sense. And I love that analogy between the two because it's it's the same coin. It's just, okay, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, and, coming at you or you're doing it. Well, in, in your career and, in, you know, the innovation, and I remember, I, 
I don't remember my Prodigy password, but I, I had Prodigy. I had <laughs> CompuServe. I had AOL. I remember the Saber travel thing. I remember seeing that, um, and I'm I'm pretty sure I know that I've used Travelocity more than once. You know, I've been been in the airlines, and of course, you know, American Airlines. Of course, I, I've flown on that uh, quite a bit as well. But I, I, those experiences really give you some insight on what we're dealing with right now in this pandemic where yes there is this world of disruption a lot of things that we did we're not able to do right now or the way that we did them may not be the way that we're going to be doing them once this pandemic wraps up whenever that happens to be i'm not a prognosticator i'm not able to say okay you know like if you're for those that are old enough you know hold like johnny carson hold up the envelope to my head Great Karnak. exactly the great karnak thank you i was trying to remember his name um to be able to you know sarcastically predict when things are going to change but you know we, we see the things and we hear okay maybe towards the end of 2021 okay awesome that's actually yeah. pretty quick if you know, when you start thinking about all of that but at the end of the day, if organizations are saying, okay, what are we going to do with our business once this is done? Now is the right time to start having those conversations and not when it's like, okay, everything opens back up. You can throw away your masks and you know, away we go. So what are some things you, you see with a lot of organizations that are making mistakes and not you know, doing that, you know, planning and looking at well, this. Well, I think, yeah, first of all, this is the lumpiest uh, recession depression we've ever had. You know, Procter & Gamble's running 24 hours a day. Marianne uh, had the worst quarter in history. Uh, Walmart just hired 100,000 people, uh, Americans laying off. So it, it really depends on the industry you're in, but everyone has been changed. So don't think you're, you're left out. You know, we've had... We've had five years of digital transformation in less than a year, uh, maybe 10 years, some people say. So what's happening, you know, the amount of e-commerce that's going on now uh, been dragged forward radically. You know, the way new technologies have been deployed overnight. So there, there's a good tale about one of our large retailers who had an 18-month plan to get to curbside delivery. They did it in two days. Well, the boss won't forget that, right? <laughs> you know, that, that your 18-month plan you did in two days. So we're going to be moving way faster going forward, and we're going to be digitizing more. And my book on innovation is about 10 disruptive technologies that are coming at us and how to use them to your advantage rather than being rolled over by them. You, you've got to be taking risks today and experimenting. Because consumers, 40% of consumers have moved to new brands and new ways of shopping. And if you're not where they move to, you're out. So now is the time to make those changes. And I love that because all the innovation, I love, especially the 18-month to two-day. Boy, I'm really reluctant to turn in that business proposal to that boss going, okay, the last big initiative that you know, we said it was going to take a year and a half. We did it in two days. Can I do it in one? You know, what can we do? <laughs> and depending on what you're doing, if you get all the pieces moving together with a unified goal to do it right away. A lot of it has to do with decision making. 
So I have an example in, in my speeches that I make, and it's a video of a pinball machine. Uh -huh. And those little flippers in the pinball machine are marketing and sales and production and, uh, you know, IT saying, oh, that's a stupid idea. Now, we can't do that. I'm not sure. Let's do that again. And if you get through all those flippers, you get to the big two on the bottom. They're finance and legal. <laughs> you know, and it's generally a game over. So what happened in the pandemic, and, and I've talked to a number of industry leaders, CEOs and CIOs who said, we didn't ask for permission. We just moved forward. We made decisions at a speed we never had before. And if you can do that by getting good alignment, you know, then you can move at the pace of business today. And you have to be willing to, to make those decisions. And one way to do that is to experiment and fail fast. And you don't have to have big experiments today. You know, we can test things with AI. We can test them on the web. There, We can build 3D printed prototypes. There are a lot of ways to test small, but we have to test and see what the consumer thinks and then make that decision and then go all in. Uh, and too many companies, I think, get complacent and, well, what got me here will get me there. And it won't anymore because your competitor is changing if you're not. Yeah, it's, it's a great analogy. And to go back to an earlier conversation about you losing your hair in IT, mine was accounting and IT when that started to go. <laughs> Even worse. Uh, yeah, just like, yeah, the tax season. It's like, yeah, just, I don't, oh, that's actually tax seasons now. I almost forgot about that because I'm not in that field anymore. Thank you. Yeah, I don't miss that. I certainly don't miss uh, writing the checks uh, when uh, tax time comes. But, but I, you know, it's one of those things where a phrase came to mind uh, when you were talking about, you know, just doing things without permission. And a lot of times it's easier to ask for forgiveness than ask for permission yeah, because certainly you, you drive through some things and you say, here's the end result. Because oftentimes with, you know, different levels of management, you'll get a lot of resistance along the way before you can get something approved, depending on the structure of your organization. And sometimes it's better to say, here's the outcome. This is what we did. Wow, that's great. How did you do it? And you, you peel back the layers and say, this is what we did. And initially in leadership, they're like, mm, wait a minute, you kind of circumvent the rules, but they, they, they have the end result. It's like, this is amazing. We have it. So it's hard for them to you know smack you on yeah. it. But There's a famous story from American Airlines when I was there. Uh, back in the day when uh, United and Continental kind of owned Denver Airport, they were the only two who flew there. American only had one flight a day. And there was a huge snowstorm, and one of our planes got snowed in, and we couldn't get the snowplows to come because they were, of course, working on Continental to United. And United. And uh, so one of our, our station manager went downtown in Denver and bought a, a giant snow removal machine and came out. And, and dug the plane out himself, and he charged it on his expense account. And it got to the CFO because it was a big enough bill. And he took it into Bob Crandall, our chairman, and said, look look what Jack Williams did. He, he charged a bulldozer on his expense account to dig out the plane so it could leave. What should we do? And he said, I think I'll make him a vice president. <laughs> so, you know, um, innovation is a dream with a deadline. And having an idea isn't good enough. You've got to move forward. I interviewed a friend of mine who, who worked at Amazon, written three books about it. And he said, you know, that's what they encourage people at Amazon to do, to make decisions at every level and move forward. And, you know, an innovation can be anything. I, I was speaking to a 100-year-old insurance company. And before the speech, I, a woman came up and said, well, I did something innovative. 
And I said, well, what'd you do? She said, I unlocked our PDF forms so our applicants don't have to write them out by hand. Now, I didn't want to tell her that the IRS did that like eight years ago, but to them, it was innovation. And she didn't ask anybody. She just did it. And so you can innovate in any department at any time by looking at what's wrong and saying, I'm going to fix it, or looking at another industry and saying, well, why don't we have a subscription model? Why aren't we building a platform? Why, why aren't we selling outcomes? And, and push those ideas forward because your competitor is already doing it. And that's the thing. And with this rapid, and life was moving fast before, but this pandemic has created the scenarios where everything we do will be at a much faster pace with the ability to adjust. And, and a lot of people that are used to, and I, and I see this in nonprofit, but you know, corporate does it as well, where there's that hesitancy. It's like, well, what happens if it blows up? Well, then you, you learn from it and go, okay, try not to exactly. blow it up next time. Because if you think everything is going to blow up, you're never going to light that thing because it's just not going to do anything. So, well, there's a thing in corporations called the bosone layer. It's the impenetrable layer of middle management that stops good ideas from moving upward. It's really not their fault. They're simply not rewarded for change. So as a leader, you got to reach down through that bozone layer and say, this is Bob's idea. It really worked great. And this is Larry's idea. It was terrific. This is Barbara's idea. She failed. We're giving Barbara another chance and a promotion because the idea failed. So you have to kill projects, not people. And when, when your workers understand that you're killing a project, not the person, then they're willing to take a risk. A lot of people weren't willing to come to Travelocity when we started. It wasn't on the corporate ladder, right? And a bunch of people wanted to come just before we went public. We said, sorry, guys, you didn't contribute. You didn't take any risk. You don't get the reward, right? And so you have to take risks in life. And and I've taken lots as, as I've, you know, navigated my career. And some of my businesses have failed. But overall, you know, I've created about $8 billion worth of value. So that's a, a pretty good scorecard. Look, in, in baseball, if you fail 70% of the time, you are awesome. You get a lot of chances. Yeah. I mean, you, you strike out or, you know, fail seven out of 10 times, um, you're first ballot Hall of Famer. And, exactly. you, know, you know, you think, you know, Ted Williams are all the great hitters. It's like, well, you know, what was their lifetime average? And you're like, okay, like three of this or, you know, 326 or, you know, whatever. And you're like, wow, that's, a, and we've been conditioned. It's like, well, you know, a lifetime batting average of this really so, is amazing. And, or, you know, Tony Gwynn, I'm a huge fan of him. And, you know, one of the things you know, they did a comparison where he faced Tom Glavin, Greg Maddox, and John Smoltz from the Braves. So when the Braves were winning everything except the world series in the nineties. So Gwynn faced the, those three uh, over a thousand at bats or something ridiculous like that. He struck out three times against those three and all three of them are in the hall and but you know his batting average was you know other than that one season where he came you know really close to you know 400 but again even in that season if he would hit 400 that means six out of ten times he would have failed and 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 that's the way way life is yeah and you know and that that's why startups are so dangerous uh when we look at them from a big company because you know they they have nothing to lose and when you have nothing to lose, you kind of roll the dice, right? And, and as you said, when I have everything to lose, I'm not willing to chance anything. 
And life just doesn't work that way. Godzilla didn't kill King Kong. It was a bunch of little airplanes, right? That were that looked like mosquitoes to him. And we've got to play whack-a-mole against those startups and be looking at them all the time if we're in big business uh, and understand how they're going to change the world. Then 75% of those startups will fail. Um, but VCs make a ton of money because they know some of them will be incredibly successful. They mutate, they change, they're kind of like a virus, and we have to understand what they're doing. A lot of people take the trek out to Silicon Valley, to the Silicon Valley petting zoo, basically, where you go out and look at all those companies to try to understand, do I need to copy them, do I need to buy them, or do I need to forget them? Uh, but it opens your eyes to what's possible in this new world. I mean, we look at how people are using AI and the Internet of Things and big data. Philips, the lighting company, just proposed to Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam for a 20-year contract for light. We said, we don't want to sell you light bulbs. We want to light the airport. And they got the contract. Well, what did they do? They immediately put it in bulbs that lasted longer because they pay for the bulbs. They put in bulbs that use less energy because they pay for the energy. And they recycle them when they're done. And they got a much more profitable contract by focusing on an outcome, not on iron. It's one of the chapters of my book is about these new outcome business models or subscriptions, right, mm -hmm. or, or platforms. You know, we have to look at our old business and say, gee, you know, how old is that model and how long is it going to last? Yeah, and, you know, I, I you can pick on Philips for a second. You know, my condo is lit with, you know, their bulbs that are tied into my Google oh, Home Hue. device. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the Hue bulbs. So, number one, you know, they're very efficient. Number two, I can program them to say, instead of leaving my light on all day. So if I get home late at night, you know, I have, here I've been running a light all day. I, I can turn them on or schedule for them to come on or, sure. you know, or, or pick on the teenager and put it on disco light mode when she's in there just to mess with her. Cause that's what dads do. You know, we, we pick on our kids, you know, so all of these things in innovation, like what, you know, with that airport, you know, there's so many options for them to do that with technology and AI and, and well, it's a concept that I call owning the edge mm -hmm. and, you know, Computing used to be centralized, and now computing and IoT is out at the edge. And we're seeing IoT in, you know, smart pill bottles and thermometers that'll call the doctor and the IoT devices in our homes. And owning the edge is powerful. Um, in, in GE or, excuse me, GM is building into the car. So if you're going along today, your car can pop up and say, you're about to run out of gas. There's a shell station a half mile away. And if you come in right now, they'll give you a free cup of coffee. Well, suddenly GM is getting a piece of that action. Shell is directing you. You know, smart TVs are now working with streaming companies saying, no, 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 you don't get to advertise. We're the advertiser. And they can break into the stream and do the advertising themselves because they own the edge. So, you know, my, my printer right next to me here orders its own ink. You know, what What a racket, right? <laughs> what a deal. Um, so, you know, my printer sold me ink. That's all about looking at the business and saying, how do I get closer to the customer? Kayak was closer to the customer than Travelocity. There are new systems that are even closer than that, that, that will sell you a ticket inside an ad. So uh, understanding that, you know, we all have this device and, and that's the edge today, the edge of the glass. It used to be about being on first domain. That's gone. So how can my business look at the new world, make decisions faster, deploy these new technologies, 
and on the edge. I guess for the answer, you got to read my book, Disruption Off. Oh, definitely. And it's, it's amazing content that you have in your books because, again, it's an exciting time. I know right now for a lot of people, we're in the forest of a pandemic and so many people are struggling with things and all of that. But you know, look for where the innovation is. If you're looking for a new career, look to what things are out in the future, not right now, because so many jobs won't exist oh, even five, not. 10 years from now, just because we don't need those jobs. It's not because the economy is like, oh, it's so bad. No, it's because we will have automated so many things, but there's going to be new creations of jobs that need to match up to the work well, that we're doing. Absolutely. You know, I, I, uh, I have a driver that, that picks me up and takes me over the mountain that I live on because I'm tired of driving in the snow in the wintertime when I go out to speak. And, and I'm talking to him, and he's talking about his daughter. And she, he said, you know, she wants to be a pharmacist. And I'm telling her, you know, and this is the guy driving a limo, their pharmacists won't exist in 10 years. Uh, prescriptions will be automated. Guess, and guess who's now the biggest in delivering that kind of drug is Amazon, right? So why why do I go there when they can just show up in my mailbox? Um, and the pharmacist mostly, you know, is a manual task. I mean, a lot of them are great and they're recommending things, but most of what they do isn't that high tech. And I don't mean to dump on their industry, but it's going to get replaced. And, and we'll see, you know, one of the biggest hospitals in the nation has – a robot pharmacy, it's all done by a robot, and they don't ever make a mistake. Uh, I, I was in uh, Iceland for a speech, and the guy said, you want to come see a cow barn where they milk cows? And I said, not really. I've seen cow barns in my life. He said, no, you haven't seen this one. There was nobody in it, just cows. They walked in, a robot milked the cow, and they walked out. And they were happier. They got fed well, and they did it. They're right back out in the field eating grass. Um you know, and, and it's very hard to hire people to milk cows. Nobody wants to get up at 5 a.m. and do that kind of work anymore. So you need to look at the future and say, where is that going? What kind of job do I need to get? Am I going to be in data science? Am I going to be in AI? Am I going to be in the Internet of Things? Because that's where the action is going to be. It's not going to be in old world jobs. Yeah, and it gives so much opportunity. And what I love about it is just the, the amazing creativity and, you know, we talked in the pre-show a little bit, you know, how I talk about burnout. One of the things that burnout does is it robs people of that ability to daydream and to think and go, what what could come of this? What can we create? Because right. even even during, you know, the Great Recession of 07, 08, 09, you know, a lot of companies were born during that very difficult time. And I know that there are a lot of companies right now that are being oh, born. More, more being born right now than the last three years. They're, yeah. they're being created very quickly. Because and, you know, it's about never stop learning. I mean, look, I, I, you know, I did my first startup at 21, my last one at 68. Um, my, in my first job, I actually was sending telegrams. We, we had a telegraph machine. I mean, it was 1970, but it was still hanging around. My last company was artificial intelligence. The only way to do that is to be curious and be a reader and voraciously look at things outside your industry. Uh, and, and, and you say, well, can we do that over here? In fact, I do that in my speeches. If I'm going to speak to the accounting industry, I, I rarely talk about innovations in accounting. I talk about everything else because if I talk about accounting, they say, oh, that'll never work. 
So I say, well, look, look what they're doing over there in this other industry. And they say, hmm, maybe we could use it here. So sometimes you have to do the head fake to get people to listen to you. But there's so much technology moving so quickly. We have to learn to adapt and adopt uh, from other industries. Yeah, I love that analogy. Being a, a former accountant, I know. Yeah, we've been following the Mad Monk since the you know the you know 14th century or whenever it was. Right. But at the end of the day, there are innovations that even the finance industry and accounting, auditing, have, for example, have to face. I'm on a I'm on an audit committee of a public company, and we're talking with the auditors about well. What are you doing with AI? How much are you putting in there? Are you gonna are you gonna simply audit every transaction now? Because you can. We won't have to have sampling. You can look at every one, uh, and maybe that's not the right idea. But it's not going to be the way it was. And and the big firms are using AI, uh, and particularly now they can't go out and and you know physically look at documents. And there's no point they're on the cloud anyway. So come on, get with the program. <laughs> exactly. Uh- company that I help out, you know, their audit was completely virtual and, you know, the, cause I was an accountant in the eighties and the nineties and part of my brain's going, I don't believe I ever thought I would see this day where right. an auditor did not physically come on site, grab a bunch of papers, look at some things and, you know, ask for some journal entries and all of that. It's like everything it was, you know, I went automated. to the, the audit, the, uh, Management Committee, American Airlines, to propose electronic tickets. I said, look, our computers are smart enough now. We don't need to print tickets. And they said, but but what will our customers do for receipts? They will never accept this idea. Leave us. Go away. And American was one of the last to, to do e-tickets. And they missed they missed it because they thought the customer wanted a ticket. And, and some of the pundits, oh, you have to have a ticket because of this or that. Well, public changed overnight. They, you know, and... and Whoever thought we'd buy a $300 device to heat tea and make pizza? And that's what a microwave is, right? <laughs> but everybody has one. Um, yep. You know, they started out. They started out saying, "Oh, you can cook a roast beef in a microwave." That's a horrible result. That didn't work at all. <laughs> but or, or, or the uh, eggs, scrambled eggs, disgusting. Yeah, scrambled eggs. Oh, scrambled bad. eggs don't work. Now I have a computerized oven called a Brava. You can cook a, cook a steak. Uh, green beans, mushrooms, all at the same time. Put it in, press a button. It does everything. Tells me when it's done, and it updates like my Tesla. It's constantly getting new recipes. Um, and and they did a deal with a food delivery company, so they'll deliver the ingredients that you put in and press a button, and it cooks. Uh, so, that's innovation. Yeah. So basically, all the stuff that we've been watching on Star Trek for all these years are actually and before our very we're eyes. Close to the replicator. Yeah. Yeah, we're getting close. there. We're getting there. We're getting certainly, there. certainly the uh, what did what did Doctor McCoy carry the thing that checked your heart? I mean, those oh, yeah. all exist. Yeah, exactly. I can do an uh, electrocardiogram with my phone. Yep. Um, you know, so it, you you just have to place bets across across multiple time horizons. Understand that it's about experimentation and failure is okay. It's okay in sports. I mean, why do they watch the game films? Not to assign blame, but to assure victory. To get better. So, you know, don't beat people up for failure. You know, now if they fail over and over again, you, you send them to the minor leagues. I get that. But, you know, uh, usually it's, it has to do with coaching. You know, it doesn't have to do with a bat. 
Exactly. Terry, I've loved our conversation today. Where can people find out more about you and this amazing work you do? Well, um, again, the books are available on Amazon.com, Disruption Off and On Innovation. Uh, my website is tbjones.com. Uh, I'd love to hear from people. Happy to you know, get involved. Uh, I am a, a virtual speaker. I've done, uh, I did 45 virtual speeches last year. I have a, a big studio here. So I'm well-equipped to do that, and, and I'm not the little Zoom guy up in the corner. You know, I'm on screen and off screen. It's a real production. Um, people say it's like being there. So I speak on disruption, innovation, and uh, I'd love to help anybody who, who needs that help. I'll definitely have that information in the show notes and congratulations again for pivoting to the the virtual speaking side of things. I've done a ton myself over the last you know, couple of years and it's when they say it's as if you're right there is is a great compliment because people are starving for information oh, yeah. and, and 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 I know you well, I'm, we're starving I'm, on lots of things. We're starving for travel, but at least you and I aren't starving for a barber. No, I mean, the money that I save, I mean, I, I put it into razors, but, you know, not as much. But, yeah, the the barber and the shampoo budget, I mean, you know, I, I've relayed that into, you know, I can almost. My beard's I, I, getting a little bad, but I'm not. not, I'm not no, 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 no. It works for you. <laughs> for me, it, 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 even at this age, it still looks like I'm I'm 13 trying to grow one. Yeah, That's just not good. <laughs> it's not a pretty sight. So, awesome. Well, thanks for the opportunity to be here. Well, thank you so much, Terry. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of The Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.